to change us, challenge us, and to convict us. Father, as I've spent time with you this week, um, preparing this message, God, I, I just pray that you would speak through me this morning, God, that these words that are spoken are not my words, but your words by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. First Samuel 16, starting verse 14, it says, But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servants said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is, skillful, who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you and you shall be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then some of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is a skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and handsome in person. And the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. And, and Jesse took a donkey loaded with breads, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the Spirit of God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. So what's going on in this story? Um, for those of you that are just joining us, we're walking through First Samuel. And King Saul has been a, uh, the king of Israel, and he hasn't been doing that well. And so now God's removing him and he's bringing in David. Last week we talked about the distressing spirit upon Saul and how God doesn't do evil things and it wasn't evil. And you can go back and listen to it to get the context. But the next point of this story is that Saul uh, wants to you know, move forward and have himself feel better. And so his servants say, hey, why don't we bring somebody into worship? And so Saul agrees and says, yeah, yeah, let's go find somebody. And like, who are we going to find? And they're like, well, there's this shepherd boy out there that, uh, you know, he's a really good worshiper. Side note. David has just been anointed as future king. What does he do? Go back to where he was, out with the sheep. He's like, whatever, okay. They find him there, and so they bring him back. And then what happens is, is that uh, David begins to worship. And whenever he worships, it changes uh, Saul's countenance. Saul no longer feels this sense of dread and never doesn't feel this sense of overcoming. And so in that moment, um, David just continues to worship. Now, what are, we, what are we talking about today? We're going to talk specifically about worship and how it pertains to you as an individual and how it pertains to us as a church. Uh, it, it is one of the central themes of being a Christian is worshiping. And, and it's important that we worship in a way that is biblical and in a way that glorifies God. Um, churches... That and and again, what, what's hard is that sometimes I say things about churches. People say, "Was every other church not like us, not good?" I'm like, "No, dude. There's a bunch of churches out there that are fantastic." Now, sadly, I believe there's some churches out there that do it wrong, um, and and I'm not calling those people out by name as much as I'm saying, like, I'll, I'll give an example. There's some churches out there that say, "Come out for a worship experience." Okay, you you cannot have a worship experience. That's called a concert. Okay, uh, the, the, the experience of worship is not for you, it's for God. And, and so churches that, that want to have worship experiences have, have lost sight of what worship is really about, which is about worshiping God. A lot of these churches, their decor lends itself to a concert setting in which the, the parishioners become spectators in a performance. 
And, and, and you go into these churches and, and some people, and nothing against those. God is still in some of those churches, but people challenge me and they say, man, how come our inside of our church is so boring? And they'll be like, man, it's so bright. And then we'll lift up the shades because I like a lot of light. Why? Because I read my Bible and the Bible talks about light being a good thing and darkness being a bad thing. And so the, the more light that we bring back, I think it's important that people come into a church and they see people worshiping. Not, not that we sit in the dark and we watch somebody else worship. And, and, and so it's by design. When people are like, well, oh, the light's so bright because good things are done in the light. Bad things are done in the darkness. That's what the Bible says. Many worship bands at, at some churches are basically hirelings that are playing for money, some of whom that are not saved. I've, I've gone and preached at churches, and I'm talking to people in the worship band, and I'm like, hey, man, how long have you gone here? And they're like, I don't go here. Like, you don't know. They just bring me in to play my instrument when they don't have anybody else. I'm like, wow, that's interesting. I remember one time I met somebody who played an instrument for a national speaker that you would know if I said their name, and, and I met him on the ferry. And he, he has a full-time job of following this guy around, uh, playing his instrument. It became abundantly clear that he was not a Christian. He did not believe, and that all he was was an instrumentalist for this, uh, for this nationally world-renowned uh, ministry. That, that's a very troubling spirit to have. It's the, it's the reason why our, our worship band is all volunteer. I, I refuse to pay somebody to play. I'm not going to do that. Part of it is I know how to play an instrument. And, and until it's whittled down to me on the piano again, I'm just, I'm not going to do that. Now, if we ever get to that point, you will go and find people to play. I guarantee it. Like, oh my gosh, man, we have got to find some people. This is not good. It's not good at all. Another thing about worship at our church is that you will not hear me wor- hear words like perfection and excellence. Many, many ministries are like, well, we would do things with a spirit of excellence. And what that is code for is that we, if we don't get things right, God is displeased and we'll be displeased with you because you're not perfect. I, I, I believe that God is not sitting up there in the heavens listening and going, that was a bad tone. Mm-mm. No, like timing was off on that one. Do it again. We want to hear it again. I don't believe that God is similar. This song again, really? I've heard this one so many times. There's like thousands of churches singing that I'm a good, good father. Get over it. Now, some people would argue with me and say, well, isn't it possible to have a great polished uh, uh, presentation and have it still be godly? I'm like, yes, it is. Like you, you should, if you're on the worship team, you should practice your instrument and, and you should have a heart of worship. Like all those things are important, but what it looks like is not as important as what it is, yes. right? It's, it's, it's not as important as what it is. And people come into church sometimes and dude, unless you're volunteering in sound and music, you have no idea what it takes to put on a worship, a worship. You have no idea. All the people in the back, like, Hey man, you know. And, and they're like, well, the sound was kind of off today. I didn't have a, re- I didn't have a really good worship experience. And people say things like, man, worship wasn't very good today. And I always say to them, I'm like, yeah, it wasn't very good today because of you. Because of that a heart like that. That's why you didn't have good worship. Because what is happening up here is irrelevant to what's happening inside of you here. This, this is, these are worship leaders, not worship performers. This is a worship team. It's not a worship band. 
And so we've got to, we've got to have this right mindset of what good worship looks like in our church because public worship of God is central and of the utmost importance to Christianity. Again, that's, that's why people say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. I'm like, well, you're not being part of the corporate worship experience of God that has been that way for thousands of years. God didn't change his mind where all of a sudden he wants somebody to not be in corporate worship. So corporate worship, first off, um, worship starts with you. Worship starts with you. You and, and me, I'm a hands-up type of worshiper. I believe that people need to get their bodies involved in their worshiping God. See, in, in verse 16, the servants of Saul proposed to Saul that they bring in a worshiper to ease the pain of the evil spirit that is upon Saul. But from the beginning, notice this. They didn't encourage Saul to begin to worship God and repent from his wicked ways. They said, you know what, Saul? Don't worry. We're going to go find someone that will worship for you so that you don't have to worship God yourself. Let's go and get someone to worship for you. Verse 17, so Saul said to his servants, provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Saul agrees, yes, I don't want someone, I don't want to worship, I want somebody else to do it for me. It's it's really, it's it's akin to, to this number here, where people are in worship with their coffee cup, and their phone on the other hand. Is this thing over yet? Worship, faith and victory. I don't want to worship. I want someone else to worship. I want to bring my friends somewhere where there's a really, really good band. People are wearing trendy clothes. The contrast between the heart of Saul and David begins to take clear shape at this point. It's it's very clear that the contrast between the heart of Saul and the heart of David begins to take place. You, in Psalm 5, verse 7, David wrote, But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In the fear of you, I will worship towards your holy temple. That That was the heart of David and his heart of worship. David's heart is, I will worship. Saul's heart is, can you find someone to worship for me? I don't want to worship, but I'd really like it if somebody else that was skilled could worship for me. This begins to show the contrast between someone who expects others to do the job of worshiping for you. And, and the modern day example would be one that says, people say, I want to go to a church with a, with a great worship experience. That's what, it, that's what does it for me, man. I, I want the fog. I want the lights. I want it to be perfect. I want it to sound like a CD. That's, that's what, that's what I need to be able to worship God. And I really need, I'm not going to volunteer, mind you, to be a part of it, but I want somebody else to do it for me. The size, skill, and cool factor of the worship team will not be the key to Saul's victory and it will not be the key to yours as well. It's not as well. Like, like you, you, you could get the, the seven most skilled musicians on the planet to come together to, to worship God. And if you just sit there and watch, it does nothing for you. It's nothing for you. The worship starts with you. It doesn't start up here. Now, praise God. I will say this. We have a great worshiping church. And sometimes I preach a sermon like this. We're like, well, are we not worship well enough? I'm like, yes, dude. I come up here in the front row and I like, Jesus loud behind me. Pastors that come in and visit our church and they say, man, there's one thing about faith and victory, man. Those people worship. And the way that we do our sound is that like, you know, we try to keep the sound down so the voices are high so people can hear that we're a worshiping church. I mean, the worship team doesn't really have to do much. They just kind of like start the first thing and then the people take over and then we're, we're just like on our way, right? 
I mean, Amanda was telling me on Friday that she tried to take a song in another direction. And all the women were like, no, we don't go that way. We go this way. We're like, we're going. <laughs> Saul needed to worship on his own. He didn't, he didn't need someone else to worship for him. He needed to do it on his own. He needed to worship God and get his heart right. What does it mean to you folks? You have got to stop judging worship by what it sounds like and what it looks like and who is doing it and judge it by where you're at. Like we, we are a collective body of Christ, but you will be held individually accountable for who and what you are. Right? The, the Bible is very clear in Galatians 6, 5, for each one shall bear his own load. In 2 Corinthians 5, 10 as well, it talks about individual stuff. But we are a collective body of Christ that is redeemed as a whole where we are individually accountable. Yeah. And you have to begin to realize that you need to become a worshiper. You need to do it. Yes. This has to be part of who you are as a Christian. And, and I'm sorry, I, I just don't believe that it's this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm here, ain't I? Not at all. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 15, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. See, worship is moving your lips. Yeah, you have to actually get your mouth involved. The next step for me is, I believe, to get your body involved as well. I think it's biblical. I think it's seen without scriptures. And and people have every last excuse to be like, well, you know, we've sang this song so many times. I can't worship to this song. Isn't this like Maranatha from the 80s? Like, what is this? Hillsong is so 90s, right? I mean, Crystal and I, I've shared this with people many times. When we first got married, we ended up at this small country church. And, and there, there was one guy that knew eight songs, man. That was all for three years, eight songs. Crystal says it's 12. I'm not sure. Ding, 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 ding. The zeal of God has come to me and it burneth in my soul. A mighty force that cannot be stopped and a fire that can be quenched. We're singing, oh, hallelujah. hallelujah. They rush on the city, they run on the wall. Great is army that carries out his word. They rush on the city, blow the trumpet in Zion, Zion. Dude, I know them all. Sound the alarm. Yeah, I mean, it was like, we went, man. And when you're in that kind of situation, you find out that it's not about who's playing. One guy, one piano, just, that's all we did. And we worshiped God in that, in that sense. Like we just, we worshiped him. The Bible says in Romans 12, 1, that we should present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And folks, if you're a Christian in this room and you've been saved from your sin, you have a reason to worship God. You really do. And people say, well, I couldn't really get into worship today. Did you forget what you got saved from? Did you forget what God redeemed you from? Because here, here's the other part of it is that we've got to live a life of worship. We've got to get our hands up. We've got to live a life of worship. See, what, what happens in this story is it looks like Saul wasn't living much of a life of worship. But do you know who was? David was living a life of worship, right? It says in verse 18, that one of his servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. It's interesting that when it, when it came time for these people to find a worshiper, they, they didn't go uh, find somebody that was on a stage. They found somebody that was out in the field that was living a life of worship. 
I, I believe that if he was a skillful player, that means he probably had his instrument with him. I, I would love to envision uh, David out there with his sheep, just strumming along, walking with his sheep, worshiping God, the sound coming up from the valleys and the hills. And they're like, we need a worshiper. And they're like, there's a, there's a young man. We've heard him for years out there. He's always worshiping God, man. It's clear that God, let's get that guy. Let's get that guy, because I, I think that he knows what he's doing. He was known for being a worshiper. And if he wasn't known for being a worshiper, they never would have chosen him in the first place. They didn't go and say, well, let's go find someone we can train to be a worshiper. No, they said, you know what? This is somebody that it's clear that they are a worshiper. Let's get him. See, <clears throat> David's heart again is seen in Psalm 19:14. It says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. See, some scholars believe that it was during this, these years that David wrote a lot of the Psalms. I mean, he had time on his hands, right? I mean, he's out there in the middle of nowhere. He's got time to write these Psalms. And what David understood, which you have to understand as well, is that worship begins with a heart that understands that anything above God is idolatry. Anything. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, the first thing that God ever said in the Ten Commandments was, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And what that means is that there, ha- there can't be anything in your life that's above God. And I know that some people look at the way that I preach and the way that I lead, and they say, man, why do you take it so seriously? Because I believe that God wants us 24-7, 365, including a heart of worship. And so in this moment... <clears throat> The, the, the idol that's resting inside of Saul's heart is an idol of pride. He cares more about what people think about him. And so he wants to let somebody else do it. And sometimes it happens within the church as well, where people are like, well, I don't want to worship. I don't want how people are going to think about me. You should be worried more about what God thinks about you than what people think about you. You should be more concerned about whether or not God is, God is receiving your worship, whether or not somebody else cares about it. And, and, and for, for us, as Christians, that, that idol, like even being here this morning, like you're here and this is a sacrifice. You've said at least at the minimum, God, I value you enough to give you my time. And that's good. Like that's good. That's why I think that gathering for corporate worship is important because it, it, it says like I'm sacrificing, like I value God more than anything else. It, it, the, the sun is finally out after weeks and weeks. Right. And you guys are like, you know what though? We're still going to go to church. Like we're not going to do yard work. We're not going to go for a walk. Maybe you did that yesterday. Maybe you do it after, but at the minimum, you're like, you know what? I'm going to give God my, my time. That's a sacrifice. You're saying, you know what, God, I'm, I'm placing you higher than my own desires and my own needs. <clears throat> You've got to live that type of life where you submit to God in everything. And, and David understood worship. It's interesting that he's described as a man of skill, of valor, as a man of war. Even though he hadn't even walked into any war leadership anyway, he was already seen as that man just because of who he was as a worshiper. And so I would ask you, are you living a life of worship? Is worshiping God a priority in your life? Not just Sunday, not just Wednesday. Like, it's great. I'm glad that we gather on Sundays. I'm glad that we gather on Wednesdays. But it's more than that, right? It's it's about how you live your life throughout the week. It's it's what you listen to throughout the week. Um, I'm a firm believer that Christians should listen to Christian music. And people would say, well, can I listen to anything else? Well, here's the thing, man. Like, most of the stuff that's on the radio that's not Christian is complete garbage. Yeah. And there, I mean, even there was a time where you could get away and say, like, well, I'll listen to country music. Country music is just as nasty as all the booty-ripping hip-hop at this point. Like, it, like there, it, it, there's no out on that. 
And so you get that stuff in your head and you're not, you're not worshiping God when you're singing these songs to the devil. Like it just doesn't work that way. And again, I'm not going to say that every song that's out there is the devil. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that you can decide and say, you know what, God, I'm going to worship you on my way to work. I'm going to worship you on the way home, or I'm going to just set some time aside and I'm not going to watch television or be online. I'm just going to turn on some worship music and just be in your presence and worship you because you're a good God and I love you. What priorities are you setting in your life to worship God more? And and this is the biggest frustration that I have with most American Christians is this lackadaisical attitude that they bring to their relationship with God. They give God a head nod and they think that it's okay. Like, well, heck man, I showed up, didn't I? I'm like, well, yes, good job. It's kind of like your job. Like you can show up every day and do nothing. Like, and, and you work with people like that at your job that like they feel like the fact that they showed up was enough. It's like, well, okay, we need more from you than just showing up. And worship is kind of the same thing. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 20, for you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You don't even own your own life. You don't own your own life. And, and this idea of like, well, I, it's my time. It's my life. I can do whatever I want. It, no, even if you're not a Christian, you just haven't submitted to God. If you are a Christian, you've submitted to God and your life is no longer your own. I, I, I've shared with you guys uh, many times. I was in the U.S. Army and I, and I loved being in the military. And, and I'm, I'm a very compliant rule following guy. I, I love living in the rules. Um, it's so comfortable there. One of the things I don't like is that I actually have to choose my clothes now. I love like somebody telling me what to wear every day. It was a whole lot. I do have crystals. She does that sometimes. Um, <laughs> And one of the things they, they told us when we joined the military is that when we were in basic training, they gave us our dog tags and they said, wear these every day that you're in the military and don't take them off until you get out. And so I was like, okay. And like, I was very gumpish. I was like, okay, drill sergeant. Like, that's just how it was. And so many guys that I was in the military with wouldn't do that, right? When they were off duty, they would take their dog tags off. Or if they're going on leave, they would take their dog tags off. Why? I don't know. Maybe they didn't want people to see it on their neck. And you know, it kind of starts to irritate in your chest a little bit because it's there. It makes noise, like all those other things. They didn't want to do it. Me, I'm like, hey, I'm in the military. They told me to do it. I'm going to do it. And after a few years of wearing it, I understand there's a reason why they call them dog tags. Right? Have you ever seen a dog that has a collar on all the time and then you take it off? It doesn't feel comfortable unless it's got the collar on. Why? Because it knows that it's owned. <laughs> and so when you're wearing those dog tags, it's abundantly clear all day, every day. Chunk, chunk, chunk. I am not my own. <laughs> Somebody else owns me. Yeah, that's it. And, and, and worship is like that with God is that you, you've got to remind yourself, like, you don't own your life. You've got to, you've got to move past this idea of like, it's my plans. It's what I want to do. Your life is not your own. If, you, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've been forgiven of your sins, he owns you all day, every day. And so you need to worship him as you go throughout your week. See, in, in this story, you don't want to be the Saul. You want to be the David. You want to be a worshiper. Now here's, here's the next part of it. And this will, this will feel real good in your spirit. You have to prepare for worship. Like worship, worship is not a natural act. Uh, Excuse me. Worship is a natural act in the sense that we were created to worship, but choosing to worship God doesn't come naturally. 
We have, we have to actually do that. We have to prepare ourselves for it. As much as David was a worshiper, it was clear that before David came to worship that he was prepared for it, right? He didn't learn to worship on his way to go uh, be with Saul. He was already known as a man of worship. And we see in verse 20 that his dad, it says, And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. It, 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 it is clear that David was in, in for this for the long haul. It wasn't merely like a, a, like a lackadaisical kind of thing to say, well, I'll go down there for a while, and if I need some food, I'll go back and get some food. If I need something else, I'll go back. No, his dad's like, hey, you're being called on. This is what you're going to do, and we're going to set, we're going to take it, we're going to take care of all of the ancillary things so that you can focus on the one thing. We're going to make sure that you're fed. We're going to make sure you have transportation. We're going to make sure that you've got a sacrifice. You've got all these other things. So when it comes time to worship, you can just focus on worship. And it's interesting, the things that they list out, and we don't have time to go into it, but it's interesting. He brought bread to me, which is symbolic of the word. He brought the wine, which was the spirit of God. And he brought a goat, which was to me a sacrifice. He brought everything that he needed to be able to worship God in that moment. He wasn't going to come empty handed. You, you, you cannot enter into worship without preparation. You can't. And if you're anything like me, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll be running behind, uh, in my mind. And I'll end up here in worship and I don't even enter in into like the second or third song because I didn't take the time to prepare before I entered into worship. Right. We, 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 we just rush in and we begin to sing songs instead of worshiping God. It says in Ecclesiastes 5, 1, walk prudently when you go to the house of God. Interesting. It doesn't say park in the parking lot. It says walk, walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. See, going unprepared into the presence of God would not be wise, right? If we were in the Old Testament, and and you hear about the Old Testament priests, if they went into the presence of God without being prepared, they would die in His presence. They'd have to tie a rope to His foot and pull Him out because they died, because they, they weren't prepared before they go into the presence. I tell you, if we had a church like that where people that weren't prepared fell out dead, you would prepare before you came in. Like, oh, they weren't prepared. Boom. Oh, them either. Right? See, a prepared heart is ready to give God your best. Worship is giving to God. It's not receiving from God. And so I would challenge you this morning. Are you preparing your heart to worship God when you come into the assembly? Are you, are you preparing your heart? See, the Bible says in Proverbs 15, 8, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. And, and here's the thing that many people don't think about, and, and forgive me if I haven't said this to you before, but your preparation for this morning started last night. Your preparation for this morning started earlier in the week. You, you would never think that for me to come down here on, on Sunday to be able to, to present God's word to you, I would never like on the way down on highway 18 be scratching something on the back of a napkin and then be like, and you're like, so what? I'm like, well, uh, and God loves you and, uh, live right. And like, you'd be like, oh my gosh, man, he called it in. Like he didn't even, what did you do this week, pastor? Cause it's clear you weren't working on your sermon. I think we heard that one before. Like why are you, why are you recycling that? No, you would say, you want know as a pastor, you need to prepare yourself before you come bring this gift. It's so different for Joe parishioner. Like you've got to prepare, you're, you're bringing your gift to God. And so many people, they, they, they'll be out late Saturday night or they'll be going and doing social things on Saturday night, which I'm not against unless it keeps you 
from being able to be prepared for worship. See, like for me, many people are like, oh, let's get together on Saturday night. I'm like, yeah, we can, but I'm home by eight. Like I need to be resting. I need to be getting my mind right. I need to, I pay attention to what I watch because it, it, it changes how I feel. Um, I got to make sure that Crystal and I and our kids are in agreement. I, I don't like chaos in my home. I want my home to be orderly. And so the, I, I cannot come to church if Saturday night doesn't go well. And again, after that, then the next step is Sunday morning. Now this might come as a surprise to some of you, but you had children Saturday night before you went to bed. <laughs> they, they, they didn't magically appear Sunday morning and you're like, oh my gosh, where did these kids come from? We have to bathe them. We have to feed them. We have to dress them. What are we going to do? How are we going to be able to do this? Uh, you sure you sure get them out of the house on time when the bus is coming for school because you're like I, we ain't we are not driving you, you're gonna put this and eat a sand go <laughs> Sunday morning you're like oh isn't there an eleven thirty or an eleven forty five that we can go to like why why do we gotta get going you gotta get enough sleep people say man I needed to get sleep this this is going to be groundbreaking for some of you. If you go to bed earlier, you get more sleep. Wow, that's amazing. Many people haven't even thought about God or prayed before they came, so they can't even give to God. They're, they're, they're trying to receive and be cleansed and spoke to. They're wanting to receive instead of giving. And there's nothing wrong. I receive and worship accidentally, but it's not the point of it. The, the, the point is to prepare our hearts and our minds so we can give to God our best. And the byproduct of it, you might get something out of it. But if, if, if every Sunday and every Wednesday and every time you're just coming to God like, God, I need this from you and I need this from you. You never get to truly do what we're supposed to do is to worship him. And I get it, man. I, I mean, I've been serving God for many years and I've had many a worship service where my mouth is moving and my heart is far from him. Where I'm thinking about what I need to do, what I haven't done. You know, I'm going to Home Depot after church or where are we going to eat or like... All those, yeah, man, it's wrong. And so sometimes you'll catch me up here. If you ever see me doing this, it's not the spirit. It's me trying to clear my head. I mean, stop. Quit thinking about that. God, I just want to think about you. I just want to worship you. This isn't the time for me to plan my week. This is my time to give you my best. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore become come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. Uh, Notice it doesn't say to come arrogantly. It says to come boldly. And how can you do that if you if you haven't been preparing? You've got to get on uh, get up on time. You've got to dress yourself and the kids. You have to be on time. On time to worship. And I know that kind of twists the heart and some of y'all that showed up late today and I'm Glad that you showed up late so you could hear this part of the sermon. People many times have said things to me like, oh, you know, pastor, I don't, I don't, I don't enjoy the worship part. I just like listening to you. I'm like, well, that's interesting because God enjoys listening to you. God enjoys like this whole experience is, is set up in such a way. The first half of the service is for you to worship God. And what's interesting is the people that don't worship God, your heart, the soil of your heart doesn't get tilled in such a way to be able to receive the word. 
it, it's so hard because you're like coming in halfway through a movie. It just doesn't, what's going on here? What's going on is when you show up on time before God with a prepared heart to be able to worship him with your best gift, you, you're, you're giving. And then when the word comes, then you receive. Then the Lord is able to bring a word to you, to encourage you, to challenge you, to do all those things. But you have to, to, to make it happen. And people like, people say, oh man, you don't know what it's like. And you get in a fight with your spouse and all the kids won't be able. Crystal and I started the church when our kids were in diapers, right? I had a full-time job, 50, 60 hours a week, running a church, writing sermons with two kids in diapers. And yeah, was it hard? Yes, it was very hard. I'm just telling you that it's possible if you make it a priority, right? I mean, and, and again, like we, we have a, I mean, I, I don't want to be that type of church, but we have three offerings here, folks. Like we got an 830, we got a 10, we got 11. Who can't show up to church at 1130? Like what, what's going, what's going on in your life on that, on that snow day, on the snow day, when we had one service, I was like, what do people do with their mornings? Like I get up, I have coffee, we're hanging around, we're playing in the snow and I'm like, well, we should probably get down to church. We still showed up 45 minutes early. What's going on in your morning that you can't even show up on time to an 1130. Here's the fourth and last point of it. It's this. I said, you've got to worship God and not man, man. Get your hands up. See, the situation under which David was brought was actually pretty weird, right? Is that they say, well, Saul needs worship. Go find someone to worship. David's out there and he's a worshiper. And if I was David, and I'm not, but if I was, I'd be like, why are you getting me? Shouldn't he be worshiping? But no, David, because he's a, he's a submitted, loving guy that loves the Lord. He's like, well, I can worship God out in the sheep field. If you want me to worship here in front of the king... I don't know what he's going to be doing, but I'm going to be worshiping God. Because I, 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 I don't worship out in the field so people can hear me or see me. And I don't worship in front of Saul so he can see me or hear me. But if he happens to get anything from it, I don't have a problem playing my skilled instrument here and worshiping God in front of anybody because it's only about God anyway. See, the byproduct of David's worship was evident uh, that, that Saul felt better after it because David was just doing what he did. And many times my wife and I, and, and, and when I go on vacation, I don't go on a vacation from serving God. Like no matter what city we're in, no matter where we're at, we find a church to go to on that Sunday. And, and it's interesting when you do that, parents, you tell your kids what's important in life. And so we have, we have, we have been to some wonky churches in our life. Cause sometimes you're in a small town there at anything else, but you know what? We go in there and we worship God. If we don't know the songs, it doesn't feel right and things don't look right. I'm like, I can worship God anywhere. I mean, come on, man. These Christian songs ain't that hard anyway. Like just say the name Jesus, Jesus over and over and put your hands up in the air, man. But I'm not going to stop just because no one else is worshiping God. We've been in churches with thousands of people that are doing the, like that mean crystal up there, worshiping. People are like, who are these nutballs? I ain't going to see you again. I don't care. I came here to see God. Like, I'm going, right? David's boldness to worship God was because he was a worshiper and he wasn't going to stop. He was there for God and God alone. See, worship isn't about what's going on or how you feel or what you do. It's about God. Jeremiah 25, 6 says, do not go after other gods to serve them and worship them. And do, do not provoke me to anger with the works of your hands and, and I will not harm you. Uh, here's, here's a story I'll share with you. Is that years ago, we had a friend and uh, her husband died unexpectedly. And we had 
the privilege of being of being in the hospital when he died. Um, and he was in Tacoma General, and uh, Jay and Shelley were there, Crystal and I were there, and, and so he dies, and he's like 47 years old, got an 8-year-old son. The son's at home with my son at my house. And so I'm there when he dies, and it's horrific. And so then it's done. He's dead. We we got to go. Like, you know, just move on. And so Crystal says, hey, go get the car. And I'm like, all right. So I go and I get the car. And, and we had a worship CD that was in there. And I'm in this, like, if you've never been in these type of situations, like, what do I, what am I do? What do I say? Like, what, what's going on here? And so I'm like, does, should I have the radio on? Should I have the radio off? Like, what's the temperature going to be? Because I'm just like, this is a woman whose husband's just died. What am I going to do? So then Crystal comes out and we pull up to the side and then she gets into the car and, and I'm just like, what am I going to do here, man? And so we begin to play and I had it on just ever so softly. And I remember the wife said, she said, she said, turn up the radio, or she said, turn up the music. I want to worship God. And and it was some of the, and you want to hear somebody worship. It, it was probably the best worship service we've ever had in our life. Driving home on I-5 up 18 to go home and see her son. And, and, and I always use that as an example because so many people use the smallest excuses in the world of why they can't worship God. Like they're, but like, God is still good through everything. He's, he's good through every circumstance in your life. He's good through everything that you're going through, or what you've gone through, or the struggles that you had. And, and it's it, like people say, well, I haven't been at church. I've been going through a lot. Like that's where you need to be, man. That's where you need to be. Have you settled it in your heart that you are worshiping and why you are worshiping? And it's interesting we're going to have a men's retreat and you watch, we come back from the men's retreat, all the men's like, Whoa! and then like two or three late weeks later, they're like nowhere to be found. Like, why, why can't we be a church like that all the time? Like God doesn't, God doesn't change just because you go to an advance. John four twenty three. but the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. Can the worship team begin to come? Cause I want to end with a song today. Worship isn't about you. Okay. It's not, it's not about what you feel or what you're going through. It's about God. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 28, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. This is why, like, and I understand, man, life happens. Your kids are downstairs and your beeper goes off or, you know, something happens. But like the, like the cell phone thing within worship, it's not just that it's annoying, uh, annoying. It's just that like we're worshiping God. Like this is the time when we enter in where just for like an, an hour and some change that we can just be alone with God. And, and, and if you can't handle a phone in your pocket, leave it in your car. It'll still be there when you get back. And if you're like, well, I, there's people that might need to get a hold. Bring them to church with you. And then they can be right here next to you if they need to get a hold of you. Everybody I love and know that I need in my life is here on a Sunday. Everybody else I can get after one o'clock. Would you guys stand with me this morning? You can begin to play. Now, maybe, maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. And you would say, you know what, man, I don't, I don't even know how to worship because I've never given my heart to God. Well, today I want you to give your heart to God. Today I want you to be forgiven of your sins. I want to, I want you to be set free from that. 
And if you've never made that decision and you'd say, you know what, pastor, I need to give my heart to Jesus. I want you to, I want you to walk forward right now to the front of the church so that someone can pray with you. I want you to say, you know what, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. Now for the, for the, for the rest of y'all, and I, listen, we're just going to sing one more song, but I encourage you, if you want to come up here and kneel, if you want to come up here and raise your hands, if you want to just get out of your seats and, and worship God together, Worship, let, like we can't preach about worship and not end with worship, can we? Amen. And all I want to ask you to do is just clear your mind, man. Whatever you were going to do can wait another five minutes, right? The, 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 the people with children are like, what about my kid? They're fine, okay? They're fine downstairs. But let's, let's worship God with that sense of what we learned this morning, right? Of that it's, it's, it's about where we're at and that we want to bring our best gift. That we don't worship man, but we worship God and that we can give God our best no matter what we're going through. Amen? But we're going to close with this song of worship. Afterwards, I want to encourage you, for those of you that have children, to go and, uh, get them. We're so thankful that you are here today, but let's, let's collectively, let's together, let's worship the Lord. Amen?